He's already been dead and it's messed with his head. It's John's post-life crisis. Welcome to John's post-life crisis. I am your host, John Johnston, founder of CornNation.com, your Nebraska Cornhuster site of everlasting joy. This episode, we're talking with Kamiar Morabian from the SB Nation Oklahoma site, Crimson and Cream Machine. As you know, Oklahoma is one of the four teams in the college football playoff this season. So we're talking with Kamian to see what we can find out about Oklahoma as no one gives them a chance against LSU. How are you doing today, Kamian? Man, I'm doing well. How about you? Well, it's a you know, we're recording this on a Monday morning, and Monday mornings are not my favorite day of the week, but uh, you guys are in the college football playoff. My team is staying home uh, without a bowl game again. So we can talk about know, that a little bit later. <laughs> this isn't the uh, this isn't the Nebraska Cornhuskers that I grew up with, where we used to clash with Oklahoma for a Big Eight title every year. That's for sure. And you know, it's not too far away down the road where OU and Nebraska have their home and home. No, that's true. That is true. What is that, 2021? 2021. It's in Norman, and then the following year, of course, in Lincoln. Well, hopefully we'll be up for the task. You know, there's been a I'm – a, I'm an old, crusty guy, so I grew up – you know, my first memories of Nebraska football were the Thanksgiving Day, you mm-hmm. know, clashes that my whole family would sit around the TV and watch Tom Osborne lose to Oklahoma once again with that Sooner magic going on. Uh, I'm sure a lot of Nebraska fans have horrible memories of those games. But let's LSU, nobody gives you guys a chance in this game. You do. What do you think of that? So, I mean, when you're looking at the top four teams, um, of course, Oklahoma lost to Kansas State, and the 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 method has been well. Oklahoma gets their one weird, odd loss out of the way during the year. It was it's their own inexplicable loss, whether it's to Texas or some other team that isn't too terrible, like Iowa State the year before with Baker, or Texas the year before than Iowa State. Um, and then you know they just went out, and then they just take care of business and let the chips fall, and that's really just been their method instead of just you know not having those inexplicable losses. And you look at the other teams, of course LSU at the top, and then you have Ohio State and Clemson, which Clemson they're largely untested, and the time they have the time they were tested was a former Texas coach in Mac Brown, which they done goofed and actually should have won that game, but Clemson still would have been in. And then Ohio State, I believe Ohio State is the most complete team in the country. Uh, I was hoping and praying Oklahoma would not get a matchup with Ohio State. Clemson didn't really bug me too much as far as they lost a lot on that defensive line. And the Sooners, what they do best is run the ball, especially up the middle, or sometimes QB draws when Jalen Hurts isn't giving the ball to the other team by putting it on the ground. But I was really hoping for a matchup with LSU. as funny as it says, but uh, seems, but LSU's defense seems a little soft. Um, I know people will say, "Well, they've got people back from injury, um, and you know they've they've gotten better on defense as the year has gone." Well, Oklahoma's defense has clearly gotten better over a year and gotten better throughout the year. And 
um, Oklahoma's again their their best shot to have advancing in the college football playoff for the first time, you know, because they've been in the college football playoff four to five years, but they haven't advanced. And that's what's really on the minds of Sooners fans is like just get, you know, just survive and advance, just like get through the damn playoff because they've been close. I mean, the first year with Clemson, they were leading at halftime, but they weren't they weren't there that year. They weren't close. The offensive line wasn't good enough. And then you have dates with Georgia, which you should have won. You had a date with Alabama, which if you didn't get in a 21 nothing hole, you are definitely, you know, in that game to win it because they just couldn't get a defensive stop at the end of the game. So it's just advance and LSU, their defense, you know, they played offenses that aren't that great uh, to be pretty nice about it. Like the only, the only offense I think they've played that I would view as something to be legitimate maybe is the, uh, the, of course, the Alabama offense. Um, you know, there's not a lot of other offenses on their schedule that really I respect a lot. I mean, Vanderbilt put up 38 points on them. Georgia, uh, Florida, who is the most like jobbiest SEC job ever. Like that team is right in the top 10. They, 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 they're not that great. Uh, Georgia, who doesn't, can't lick a soul on offense. Uh, they, they face a lot of teams that they're not that great on offense and they're still putting up points against LSU. So, I feel like Oklahoma, if they're going to win or if they're going to make it a game with LSU, of course, you have to get a couple of stops, which is, you know, that's that sounds as easy as it is. Joe Burrow's completion, completion percentage breaks Baker Mayfield's record. It's, he's at like 78%. Uh, but Oklahoma's going to have to make Joe Burrow feel uncomfortable in the pocket. And that's an issue when you have suspensions on your team, um, which are seemingly drug-related. And your best pass rusher has been suspended for not just the bowl game, but the next five or four or five games next year. And then, of course, Oklahoma's safety, Delarian Turner Yale, breaks his collarbone in practice just the other day. So it'll be tough, but um, their matchup with LSU seemingly is the most favorable because if they can score with LSU and, you know, ball control that defense, uh, they have a pretty good shot. So they, they've lost uh, Ronnie Perkins to suspension, who is their best pass rusher, right? And you might even argue that he's their best defensive player. Egad. And then they've lost uh, Ramondre Stevenson, who is their one of the running backs. You guys are kind of depleted in the running back position. Yeah, so Trey Sermon, of course, went out early this season, and Kennedy Brooks was the guy. Uh, Stevenson came on a little late, and he's a different kind of – he's not really a change of pace – He's a guy that has a little more wiggle than Kennedy Brooks does. Um, pass catching, he's all right. Um, but yeah, he's he's out as well. And then Trajan Bridges, he's a guy, he's a freshman. He's a guy that's on kickoff, but nobody really pays attention. Um, but yes, the Stevenson, he's so Delaney Turner Yale's big for Oklahoma's defense because he's been one of the leading tacklers and been again with his defense improving, has been one of the better guys coming down the stretch. Trajan Bridges doesn't really matter. Um, Ramondre Stevenson, he's he's a you know it's a blow, but it's not something that Oklahoma has really had an issue with with running backs over the past however many years in its history. But the biggest one I would say would be Ronnie Perkins, uh, the man. He's not the most important person of the defense. That would be Kenneth Murray, the middle linebacker. But um, the most probably the most talented guys, their pass rusher, defensive lineman, Ronnie Perkins, yeah. So Oklahoma's Achilles heel has been their defense for a while now. 
they, if I remember correctly, they replaced the coach last year to change that. Oh yeah, Mike. There's there are rumors and issue in room. There's just a lot of rumors about what happened with Mike Stoops and uh, former OU linebacker Curtis Bolton in the Red River rivalry locker room at halftime when the Sooners lost last year, and of course after that. Mike Stoops was canned um, and then they let Ruffin McNeil be the interim defensive coordinator. And then, you know, after the bowl games, Alex Grinch is suddenly named the Sooners defensive coach. And people thought maybe, including myself, that it would be a, you know, a small jump in efficiency. Oklahoma was 83, I believe, in defensive S&P last year at the end of the season. And a lot of people said, you know, including myself, um, you know, if Oklahoma can just even get to top 60, that they would be fine. And here Oklahoma is rated in, you know, top 35 for whatever, I think top 35 defensive SNP over one season. And, you know, it makes you think and makes you wonder, like, what the hell was Mike Soups doing with that defense uh, when Alex Grinch can turn that thing around immediately and have defensive backs flying to the ball and, Guys getting to the quarterback. And of course, he he does a one gap scheme, but there's a lot of other things that like what do they do? What did he do differently? But of course, it's working out for the Sooners defense. They're playing very confident to where you actually feel felt really good coming on the stretch of the season. Those four or five games that you know they actually are going to be the ones to put the game away, not the offense that we've seen in the last four years. This is uh, Lincoln Riley's second year or third year. This is his third year. Okay, and he's he's maintained thing. He's he's kept the Oklahoma the brand going. Uh, what do you think of him as a head coach? I mean, it's hard to be angry about anybody that gets you in the college football playoff, right? Oh, of course. I mean, and thinking of Lincoln Riley as a coach, everybody thinks the world of Lincoln Riley. Um, you know, his recruiting, his PR. Uh, Bob Stoops was a known guy that wasn't very good at motivating his team and that's something that you don't have to worry about with Lincoln Riley Bob Stoops was somebody that towards the end because uh, recruiting got so different from the year 2004 to the year you know 2018 and that's something that Lincoln does is he's really good with the kids he's really good he's really really good in this new age uh, he is like the new dawn of coaching you know you would know something like that about that and Scott Frost and and you know he's just he brings in the youth movement and he actually is turning around Oklahoma football as far as maintaining the status quo, what he's always been on offense, which is not trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, which is what Josh Heupel did. He tailors the offense to the talent skill that he has, which is very important. And then he finally is able to fire Mike Stoops, which is something that his predecessor never did because that was his brother and turns it around in like, now you have a top 10 offense or, you know, an efficiency and S&P plus. And now you're combining that with a guy that is making the defense all about speed, um, reckless abandon, getting to the quarterback and forcing turnovers or forcing the issue. So, I mean, you got to love Lincoln Riley and bringing back defense to Oklahoma with Alex Grinch. And then, of course, maintaining the offense. And, you know, that's just the beginning people are really excited to see what it looks like in year two with Lincoln and Alex Grinch being essentially head coaches of the offense and the defense. And um, the most concerning part is of course, Lincoln Riley's 
ambition and if that means anything about the NFL after this year. That's really the only concern on the minds of Oklahoma fans is if what if Jerry Jones comes calling. Um, but at the same time, you have a lot more freedom as an Oklahoma Sooners head coach than you would as a Dallas Cowboys head coach where Joe Castiglione and the president of the university, Joe Harrows, is not in press conferences right after games and not making decisions with um, you know, personnel. Lincoln Riley has one of the best jobs in football, which is at the University of Oklahoma, where he has almost complete control and he can go talk to his AD and get things hashed out. Whereas if you're the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys or even the Browns, uh, you got some problems with management the president uh, and a lot of other things going on with that organizations. So you're hoping he stays obviously. Oh, of course, because I mean, who, who does Oklahoma go out and get after you have a head coach that puts up prolific offenses ever since he's been in your, your university. Like there's, there's only one Lincoln Riley, uh, just like there was only one Bob Stoops. There's only one Scott Frost. There's only one Tom Osborne and we can go on about it, but, uh, he he really has brought Oklahoma into this new age because you got to think about Lincoln Riley before he became the offensive coordinator at OU. Oklahoma, the brain was stale, and they were finishing top 10, top 15 every year. I mean, yeah, this, like were they nationally prominent for you know national titles sometimes through those years? Certainly, up until about 2012, they were competing year in and year out for national titles except for a dip in 2009 where Sam Bradford basically broke his shoulder and in the BYU game. But after that, the brand became very stale. I mean, the Sooners were, were an afterthought. Um, you had Trevor Knight as your quarterback and then Blake Bell, who's an NFL tight end as your quarterback and things weren't too great. Uh, and then Lincoln Riley enters the room and suddenly their, their approach to recruiting is different. Suddenly they start playing dynamic football and partly that's in part two. Lincoln Riley, but also that's in part two, Baker Mayfield bringing that swagger back to the Oklahoma brand as well. And then, of course, Kyler Murray literally just lands in your lap. And then the what he's doing with Jalen Hurts, who is not a passer, and to get him to the Heisman ceremony just by putting up ungodly numbers again by another Oklahoma quarterback is just it's unreal. So what he has done with the program, what he's done with the university, um, it's it's incredible. So like you met, you brought up Jalen Hurts. You brought in a transfer quarterback, and he's, like you said, put up gaudy numbers, made it the Heisman Trophy ceremony. Um, how is that? Is the offense just that easy to learn? Is he just a natural fit? I mean, he came there and just exploded. Explain or elaborate on that. I'll tell you that Jalen Hurts is anything but a natural fit for a Lincoln Riley offense. Um, you, you know, you look sure. at the years. Be- you look at the years before Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. These are guys that can sling it. Kyler Murray set the record for, you know, Texas football uh, as far as being a quarterback and as far as wins. Baker Mayfield, he you know he played at Westlake, or not Westlake? Excuse me, he played at Lake Travis. He would be so angry if you heard that. Um, Sam Ellinger's a Westlake kid, so whatever. Um, but you look at. Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, these are guys that could sling it, especially, you know, Baker Mayfield, but also they could they could manage and take off and they would they would sling it over the middle and not have an issue about it. J- Jalen Hurts, this man, he is anything but a slinger. He's anything but a gunslinger. He's a chucker. This guy, he is incredibly gifted as far as physically. Uh, he's a guy that's gonna do a lot of QB draws. He's a guy that's gonna take off. And unfortunately, at Alabama, they didn't really 
teach him the game of football as a quarterback. It was essentially, hey, man, if your first read's not there, just take off, and the defense will take care of everything else. And in Oklahoma, you can't do that. Uh, you know, Lincoln Riley's offense is predicated off of going through your progressions, and then if literally everything is not there, once the pocket or once the play breaks down, that's when the game gets a little more exciting because, as Gary Patterson put it from TCU, who would know defense best, you know, playing Oklahoma is like playing backyard football on steroids. It's the ultimate game of backyard football where Oklahoma is just play breaks down. All right, run to the quarterback, get open, find a hole in the zone. And that's where you're looking at for big money plays that aren't designed. And, you know, Jalen Hurts doesn't throw the ball over the middle. It's like, it's all, it's almost like he gets gun shy. Jalen Hurts' release is not lightning quick like a Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield. His release is actually kind of slow. He starts from his hip. And, you know, by the time he releases the ball, he's about half a second off or a second off the play, off the throw. So the throws are sometimes behind and the receivers are not in front of them. And he doesn't throw over the middle. Um, he throws to the boundaries a lot, as you'll see uh, in the game against LSU on the 28th. They will probably throw to the sidelines a lot, uh, screens and anything else underneath to get things open. Um, you will not see Jalen Hurts throw the ball up the middle very often unless they just for some reason start throwing over the middle again but they haven't done that since really the iowa state game and so he's he's not a natural fit um at the same time is jalen hurts completion percentage is over 70 percent, which he's never done that his career he's putting up stupid numbers and it's just the wide openness of the offense the offensive line really opening things up for the sooners as well like where they want to run it where they want to pass it whatever they want to do and, of course, having playmakers like a C.D. Lamb. And then there's a massive group of freshmen uh, coming in. And the Sooners just, you know, they're they're good to have a spread. And I think Mike Gundy came out and said this before. They just got physically dominated by the Sooners. Is that the Sooners, they're just an option team. And it's really funny because, I mean, they're, they're really a wishbone team that's playing out of the shotgun. It's incredible what Lincoln Rally has done because you, do, you would not see this version of the Oklahoma offense with Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray. And you're definitely not going to see this version of the offense with Spencer Rattler next year. Lincoln Riley has made one year tailored to Jalen Hurts as a, an essential wishbone quarterback out of a shotgun to make things wide open as far as the run game, the pass game, the play action game, everything. That's and it's just it's unbelievable what he's done. And you like you go back and look at the tape, and it literally is a wishbone offense out of the shotgun. It's just amazing. So what what are the biggest matchups you're looking for in this game against LSU? Well, normally you would say uh, Oklahoma's defensive line against LSU's offensive line because LSU's offensive line, the one that Joe Moore award, which is something that the OU offensive line won last year as far as being the best offensive line, even though LSU is 77th, I believe, in the nation and giving up sacks. But, I mean, they're still a great offensive line. And... Um, you know, losing Ronnie Perkins really hurts Oklahoma. But if Oklahoma is going to win this game or you know, if Oklahoma is going to make this game a very good game, which I think they could be, it's going to start up front with a pressure. Can the Sooners get Joe Burrow a little uncomfortable because they played in the SEC? The SEC supposedly has pretty great defenses, even though there's lots of points being scored in the SEC this year, which is kind of odd when they talk when they brag about their defenses. And, you know, can they make him uncomfortable? Because you look at the Alabama game and, you know, at the first half, it did not look good at all. LSU was just kicking their crap out of them and everybody was, you know, cheering myself. I was very happy about LSU being the hell out of Alabama. And then 
in the second half, Alabama just storms back and really holds LSU, I mean, to not many points, and LSU has to hang on for that win. And so Oklahoma is really going to do the same, which is get pressure on Joe Burrow. Uh, another off- another matchup would be Oklahoma's offensive line versus Clemson's defensive line. If Oklahoma can rush up the middle, which is how teams have been really punishing LSU and then play action over the top, that'll be big as well. I mean, you're looking at two offensive lines that are pretty good. Of course, LSU has a Joe Moore award. You're looking at two wide receivers in Jamar Chase and CeeDee Lamb, which respectively are the best wide receivers in college football. Uh, CeeDee Lamb is probably the best wide receiver, most complete wide receiver in Oklahoma's football history, which is high high praise, but it's it's pretty accurate when you look at the, his, his total body of work and his skill set. And then you really need to look at, again, this Oklahoma pass rush. So it begins in the trenches. I know that's so cliche for for football in general, but uh, whoever wins the battle in the trenches is important because LSU, you know, losing possibly Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, uh, that's really big for them. He's their leading rusher. He's a safety blanket for Joe Burrow. He's been a guy that is Joe Mixon-esque for the LSU Tigers when they talk about catching out of the backfield and everything else he can do. He's a dynamic athlete. And if he can't go, which the rumor suggests he might not go, um, that'll be a big for that'll be big for Oklahoma as well. But uh, again, begins in the trenches, and really, honestly, is going to end up being can Oklahoma's safeties stay on the same page with the loss of Delarian Turner and Yale? Because you have Patrick Fields, who's an Oklahoma kid, uh, and then now you're going to insert a guy named Justin Broyles, who's also another Oklahoma kid. So we'll see how that safety play picks up because. One of the first things Alex Grinch said when he got to Oklahoma was, man, this safety depth at Oklahoma is nowhere where it should be. It's kind of garbage. They need to fix it. And that's one of their main focuses on this recruiting cycle. And was, you got a Juco guy and Justin Harrington, which, you know, obviously you can't play this year, but Oklahoma's safeties, um, they're not the best. And they've gotten better as the years progress. But then you have another guy break his collarbone in bull, bull practice. So trenches, and then you're going to look at what Oklahoma can do on the defensive secondary as far as maybe disguising some coverages, which really hasn't, you know, phased Joe Burrow at all, unless you're talking about the second half of the Alabama game. So give me two, how do you see this playing out? But give me two, one, one, how you want to see it play out. And then two, realistically, how do you think it's going to go? How I want to see this game play out is Oklahoma defense, uh, specifically in the middle, Kenneth Murray uh, shows out. Uh, Kenneth Murray is the engine that makes that defense run. Uh, when he's running hot, the defense is running hot. And so I would like to see the defense with the absence of Ronnie Perkins because they have several guys that can rush the passer and a Jalen Redmond as well. That if they can get after Joe Burrow, of course, you know the, the ideal situation is Oklahoma, um, they make Joe Burrow feel a little uncomfortable. Kenneth Murray is Kenneth Murray the plays the way he can. And then really Oklahoma is able to punish the defensive, you know, Alabama's defensive line. If, if Oklahoma can really make LSU pay with the GT counters where they're pulling guards and tackles and pulling from everywhere else, um, and that means that, that that that's just bad news in general for LSU. So the ideal situation is Oklahoma, ball, not, not necessarily ball control, but Oklahoma physically dominating the line of scrimmage. Now, how I think this game will play out is LSU is going to score um, early, uh, but I don't. I really don't think they'll be able to put up a lot of points on OU. I don't. I don't foresee this being a fifty to thirty game. I foresee this really being a you know a high thirties game to maybe like 
you know, like I, I would expect LSU to win, especially with the most recent batch of injuries, uh, Dillian Turner yelling and the, the, the suspensions. Uh, how I see it playing out is Oklahoma does see success on the ground, but Jalen Hurts, again, the man has been hit with the turnover bug late in the season, and that's a team against LSU that you cannot turn the ball over. You give that offensive more and more chances to get their hands on the ball, they're going to kill you with it. So I see Oklahoma trying to maintain ball control and trying to maintain possession while you know leaning on that LSU defense. But it doesn't look promising in the fact that you know Jalen Hurts likes to give the ball away the second half of the season. And so I've ever seen the game being played out and LSU winning, but maybe at 10 points. I think the line is like 14 right now, especially after the suspensions. So it's probably you're probably looking at like LSU 38, Oklahoma 24, maybe. Um, just seeing how the game will play out. So since I have you, <clears throat> the, the Big 12, how's it going? <laughs> Man, it's it's weird. Um, you know, there's ten teams in the Big Twelve, which is pretty odd. And in the Big Ten, there are several teams that are that make over the number of ten. And you have a former Big Twelve team in Nebraska up there uh, uh, in the Big Ten, and then you have several other teams. You have Colorado that split to the Pac-12, and you have you know A and M and the SEC. So you have to replace them, and you replaced. Teams that left with two teams instead, and you have TCU now <laughs> in West Virginia. And the Big 12 was weird because, I mean, Baylor, who was a team that was a doormat for so long, got revived by Art Bryles. And then, of course, he had the scandal um, by being an idiot and a terrible person. And then Matt Rule steps in off, you know, on the program and Goes one and eleven, seven and six, and then eleven and one, which is impressive in its own. TCU, they're TCU. They're never going to be that great. They're going to have good defenses, and they may have a good offense here or there. Uh, they should have been in their original college football playoff, but kind of got hosed by the committee because they have TCU on their helmet, not OU, to be quite frankly. Um, Texas, man, I don't get Texas. They people want to say they're not back or. This is what Texas has been. Texas is a team historically. Look at the records. Texas has been a team that they are a pretty good team. They're pretty good. And then they'll have their occasional great years. And this is what Texas is right now. They're a good team. And they'll have their great years. Uh, Just with Mac Brown, it was super accentuated where he had great years nearly every season. He had a great, he had great seasons nearly every year. He had, you know, a, you could look at the records where I know when Daryl K. Royal was their head coach, they, it was only 10 win seasons, but Mac Brown's winning percentage was a higher winner, winning percentage than Daryl Royal. So the possible, possibly the best head coach in Texas history is Mac Brown. And I think Texas fans took that for granted because the success Oklahoma had, because you look at post 2000, Oklahoma has dominated the big 12 in which they've, they won 65% of the big 12 titles since 2000. And so, you since Bob Stoops stepped on a campus in 99. And so the big 12 was odd. Um, I know the SEC just signed a new deal where the, the other teams are getting a lot more money. And so now you say, all right, because before that you look at the big 12 and say, okay, honestly, if you just add the Arizona schools from the PAC 12, or you add some other schools, you know, the big 12 is fine because they're making their money, especially Oklahoma and Texas. They're making their money and they're pretty happy. And then you see what the SEC did just now with their, with their grant rights and who's paying them. They're getting paid a lot more. 
you're thinking, okay, well, does Oklahoma then consider again making a leap to the SEC? Do they make the leap to the Big Ten where they don't really fit culturally? What does Oklahoma do here? So as far as the Big 12 goes, they need to get 12 teams. I mean, they spent all that money on search committees and looking at Cincinnati, looking at Memphis, looking at BYU, and then they did it the, year, the years before, looking at Louisville and looking at other teams and just not making a move. And so they need to get to 12 teams, and it's really, really annoying. Um, you know, you wish that Nebraska would come back. You wish that Colorado would be back, but of course they're not. Um, so, yeah, the Big, the Big 12, it's not really hurting because, I mean, money-wise, they're in a pretty great spot ahead of the Pac-12, which is really just dying, the ACC, which is just a garbage of conference. And then, you know, they're they're right behind there with the SEC, Big Ten, and then the Big 12. So, I mean, they're okay. Um, but, of course, you'd love to see the Big 12 be a little bit better. Do you think the conference will be around in another five years? I mean, when, right now we're looking at, like, TV contracts in 2023, I think, expire for the Big Ten and the SEC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and the Big Twelve, the Big Twelve grant of rights expires for Oklahoma and uh, the Big Twelve, anyways, for in twenty twenty four. So, do I think they'll be around in five years? I think Oklahoma, they're in Oklahoma. I think the Big Twelve and the powers that be, they're going to. I think I think they're just going to keep on working with what they have. I think they realized, hey, the Pac twelve may have to liquidate because nobody watches Pac twelve football, really. Uh, unless you're an Oregon fan, and even then, it's you know you only watch Oregon when they're good. The S- USC is bad. Uh, when USC is bad, the Pac-12 is not good. And so, I mean, the Pac-12 may have to liquidate, and you might have a super conference. But I think the Big 12 will be around. I think they're going to poach possibly the Arizona schools. I think they're going to end up maybe. You know, I think I think the Big 12 will be more than happy to have Colorado back. And it just it's it's something interesting to look at because. I think the Big 12 will be around. People are happy with the amount of money they're making. Oklahoma has their own special affiliations with Sooner Vision and there's Sooner Sports or whatever um, with the Fox broadcast. And Texas has a Longhorn network when Tom Herman isn't busy flipping off the camera when he's not you know, sure that the cameras are on him. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think the Big 12 will be around. It just really depends on what teams will maybe jump to the Big 12. And I think that, you know, they're making money and as long as they sit, they're sitting tight and they're not, you know, out of fear of firing the conference that they'll be good. I don't know if I have anything else for you. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? Yeah, well, let's, let's talk about a little bit of Nebraska football. I mean, if you don't mind, that's, that's fine. So <laughs> let's, let's talk about, because I mentioned this in, in an email that we talked beforehand and Nebraska's blue blood status. So, I mean, what is your what is your definition of the of a blue blood? Because I would argue, I would say, you know, Nebraska is a blue blood, a traditional blue blood. But what is your definition of a blue blood? Oh wow, it's it's Monday morning, and you're hitting me with that. I'd say, uh, well, the, if in order for us to keep our blue blood status, then uh, I'd have to say that it's a program that's amongst the top ten of the most wins in history. <laughs> because and we fit would, in that category. Yeah, and then I would say Nebraska fits that category. I mean, and of course, it's just like Nebraska football hasn't been what you like like you said in the beginning that when we started here, they haven't been the same really since the second or third year of Frank Solich and then they canned him um not long after for Bo Pelini, but I mean, you're looking at I think I think Blue Bloods are teams that 
have been on the national scene regularly and they don't go away for 20 years. You know, Oklahoma, you know, they had a rough patch in the 90s from 94 to 98 and then Stoops steps on because, I mean, people want to talk bad about Oklahoma in the 90s and realistically, Oklahoma still was in the top teens in the early 90s. And then when John John Blake and uh, Schnellenberg come in 94 to 98 is when they took that massive dip where Nebraska would just chuck them by and beat them by like 50 points. And then they came back to national prominence and to where, you know, they're, you know, they win a national title and they're in the hunt, you know, more years when they're not. And then Nebraska, I mean, my goodness, these guys haven't finished in the AP top five since 99. You know, that's, that's 20 years. And I'm sure you're more than aware of that, but. I'm I'm questioning on whether or not Nebraska even has your blue blood status because they, I mean, year after year, Pelini had them competitive, but they were never in contention for a national title. They had the weird bout Bill Callahan years. You had, you had, uh, you Mike know, Riley. Mike, Mike Riley. I don't know what the hell that was about. And then now <laughs> you have Scott Frost with, you know, the guy that is so well known in, in Nebraska history and so well known in the traditional conferences and he's getting them back to where they need to be, it seems like. But damn, like, what are they like? It's, I would say Nebraska's lost their blue blood status. And then we're going to see what it's going to look like in 2021 when second year Spencer Rattler and Norman hosts uh, the Cornhuskers. And if, especially if Lincoln Riley and Alice Grinch are still there, like, my goodness, it could, it could get ugly as far as what Nebraska football is concerned. I just, I think the jump from the Big 12 to, the Big Ten is that something that Nebraska regrets? I, I don't personally. I don't, <clears throat> but I live in Minnesota, so I, I get to see a lot more Nebraska sports. Uh, I think we're making a lot more money. I think it helped the university academically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if we'd have been in any different a situation because we just haven't made the best choices, like you said, Mike Riley. What the hell was that about? I think all of us. You, you know, when Mike Riley was hired, I wrote we all wrote our articles about what we thought about Mike Riley. And my comment on Mike Riley was, uh, this guy is a placeholder. That's all he is. He's like a He's perennial a loser from Oregon State. He was. He, he was not a good hire. I have no idea why that hire happened. Uh, but what I said was he'll be there three years. His buyout isn't big. And then we'll find he'll if he's successful, then great. If he's not successful, then we'll just fire him and we'll go find our next coach. And, you know, there's a lot of things in Nebraska right now about how, you know, if Scott Frost can't get this done, then who else could? Which sounds very, I I don't want to say nihilistic or fatalistic, but it Uh sounds pretty ominous. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and, I mean, you already have the high expectations as as Frost as as a player in Nebraska history. And he goes to UC, UCF, and he does some great things there. And and then did fans my, – my question is, did fans expect a massive turnaround so quick that Frost did at UCF and now possibly that they're angsty about this situation with Scott Frost because he's not turning the program around as fast as he did at UCF despite UCF being in the American Conference? I think this year was a big shock for everybody. I mean, we're not in a bowl game, and it's right. really – and it's really uh, well. It's disappointing, and it's frustrating, and sad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's Nebraska football, you know. Like yeah, the, the spring yeah, game still gets everybody out there. Like oh, the Nebraska spring game is unmatched every year because of the the culture around football and around the 
the Tom Osborne years, which aren't too far in the past. I think we'll be, I think Frost will turn this around. I mean, we had a good recruiting class this year when everybody thought it was going to be a bucket of poo. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that, yeah, I don't know. Looking at this past season was everything possibly that could gone wrong went wrong. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, you had so many things that, you had injuries, and then you had your star running back, who's an explosion, just implode and disappear for the rest of the season after about the fourth game, Maurice Washington. But uh, I don't know. You know, the sad thing is, is we have to wait like eight months to find out. I know. Um, I'm. I'm so sad. Like looking, you're looking, you're looking like the next one to two games in the eye. And for, of course, Nebraska fans, you're just looking at basically the offseason, what National Signing Day 2 brings along, and then you are just grasping at straws for any football nugget that you can get, and you're just hoping that nobody does anything dumb in the offseason, like the end of football season is upon us. Yeah. Okay, it's Monday morning. I'm already getting calls from customers because things are blowing up. Uh, So we're going to probably have to end it here. Thank you for talking to me about Oklahoma. Uh, hopefully, you know, good luck against LSU. Not Like I said earlier, nobody gives you a chance. I'll certainly be watching the game. Uh, not sure who I'll, who I'll be rooting for in this whole college football playoff thing. Right. But I, there is one interesting thing I'll say. Coach Orgeron from LSU, I mean, he's fired coaches. He's moved coaches around. And I think for Scott Frost, you know, the key will be to – if he's going to be successful is to get to a bowl game. And then he's going to have to look at his coaching staff. Mm-hmm. And everybody, you know, kind of like Bob Stoops hiring his brother, Mike Stoops to run the defense. Uh, everybody hires their friends. You know what I mean? Yep. And he's now going to, he's that, going to have to make some tough choices, I think down the road, but we'll see what happens. And that's exactly what Lincoln Riley did. He, you know, fired guys that let go guys that were traditionally on staff and went out of his way to, get guys like Alex Grinch and guys he wasn't familiar with. So it's, it's, it's a difficult task, but at the end of the day, I mean, it worked out for Oklahoma and I hope it does certainly work out for Nebraska football because the, the Nebraska fan base really, truly, you look at them during the season and us as from the big 12 are like Nebraska deserves better. They, they deserve the black shirts again. We feel so bad for them because <laughs> like, you know, you know, traditionally before this Oklahoma, Nebraska, they were, you know, you, they were teams that, they played each other, and it was for national prominence. And now it's just become some of somewhat of a running joke. Come, oh, ouch! <laughs> All right, I'm gonna have to go. Thank you for talking to me. I hope you have a good Christmas holidays and uh, New Year's. Uh, thanks everybody for coordination for listening, and please subscribe. And I don't know, do other things. Read our website more. <laughs>